Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dining with UC Dietetics. My name is Emma Foster, and I'm the secretary of SDA. And I'm here with a couple other members, if you guys want to introduce yourselves. Yeah, so I'm Dana. Um, I'm a third year in the coordinator program, and I'm also the president of SDA this year, which is super fun. Hi, guys. I'm Christina, and I am the vice president of SDA. And today we also have a very special guest um, who graduated from UC and is currently an RD, Claire Mormon. Hi, um, I'm Claire. I'm a registered dietitian in Indiana, but I went to school at University of Cincinnati and I graduated last spring, so amid the COVID pandemic. Um, and yeah, and I work in Fort Wayne. There's an eating disorder recovery center called Farrington Specialty Centers, and I work there. Um, I'm on the partial hospitalization side, so I work with clients that are there seven and a half hours a day. Um, it's a step between outpatient and residential care, so it's really cool, and I, I love my job. Alrighty, so every episode we do a little check-in question just so we can get to know um, everyone on the podcast, engage the listeners a little bit. And today our check-in question is, if you could only travel to three countries for the rest of your life, where would that be and why? Um, I can talk first because I kind of like have an idea. So three countries, I would probably have to say um, Israel because I've been there before and it's just the most incredible place I've ever traveled. Um, I'd probably say Italy because I've just always wanted to go there. Um, the food, they're probably amazing. Um, and then probably Greece because it just looks super pretty from all the pictures I've seen. I think um, I, I really love Spanish. I didn't fully take all of the Spanish classes, but I understand um, and I like to advance my knowledge so if i could go to spain or argentina maybe i would include a couple speaking spanish-speaking countries so argentina and spain and then um probably something like france my mom always loved france so i could go with her um and she's been before but i haven't so that would give me the opportunity to my three would probably be germany because i have family there and it's also like i grew up there um for part of my life um, I'd also say Australia. I've never been, but I really, really want to go. It's on my bucket list. And then my third would probably also be Spain. I've been to Barcelona once, and it was such a beautiful trip. Yes, I have always wanted to go to Australia. Just the food looks delicious. Kangaroos, you know, what else could you want? Um, and then I've always, my, like, I always say Peru when anybody asks me where I want to go, because I just really want to hike to Machu Picchu. It's a real dream of mine. Um, and I'm trying to think, I, I've been to Ireland and I really liked Ireland. So maybe I'll say Ireland. Um, what specifically got you interested in eating disorder, um, nutrition and like, how did that interest come about for you? Um, yeah, so I think I had kind of said that I want to work with people with eating disorders. And I don't know if that was my subconscious saying that the, that's the right thing to be doing, because I really didn't understand the depths of that. And I was interested because it brings a lot of that mental health, but also nutrition to it, because I really love psychology and I love understanding why people do things. And that comes into 
play with a lot of nutrition care. But with eating disorders, there's so much involvement in that that I just thought it was fascinating. And one of the people in my class actually switched to psychology to treat eating disorders. But I thought I want to stay in nutrition. And it's kind of that luck of the draw where I, um, my significant other's sister sent me this job posting and I applied and they said, Hey, can you do an interview? And I thought, cool. Well, I'm not even going to get a job during COVID anyway. And, and then I ended up loving the company. I loved everything I learned. It explained everything I didn't understand about what was wrong in a system that I think needs to be fixed. And it's just given me a purpose to help people. And really, even when I was like five, I was like, I just want to help people. Like, I didn't really know how I wanted to do that. And so it kind of all just snowballed into figuring that out, I guess. I can imagine that your job is very difficult with, you know, interacting with patients with eating disorders. So like, what do you find most challenging? And then how do you like emotionally deal with that? Because it is pretty heavy stuff to see every day. Yeah. Um, I guess a couple, like maybe two things I'd say for that. Um, one of the biggest things I struggle with, which I think a lot of people that become dietitians, um, they actually, people that are nutrition students, um, are more at risk for eating disorders, um, disordered eating. If you've heard of orthorexia, which is just the obsession with healthy eating, um, a lot of, they've actually studied the personalities that people have when they have eating disorders, very perfect, perfectionistic, um, driven, um, usually obsessive, self-critical. Um, there's a lot of things, um, very type A personalities. They want to succeed. They're very people pleasing. And so I have a lot of those same traits. Um, so when the client's eating disorders make you not very nice sometimes. And sometimes clients will kind of say, I, I can't believe you're making me eat this or um, this is terrible. Or, you know, in the renourishing process, the eating disorder saying, no, don't eat this. And I'm asking them to eat it. It goes against what their experience is. So it seems so counterintuitive and they actually can feel stomach pain and that sort of things. Um, so I have to kind of push them and, you know, the I guess the retaliation or the anger back at me was really hard to kind of sit there and have someone say, I hate this, or you're going to make me sick or, you know, just that really strong eating disorder voice coming out. Um, but I think it was a really good opportunity for me to work on my own people pleasing tendencies because you know, having people mad at me was one of my really big struggles. So I've become much more comfortable with that. Um, and I think some of that's just experience. Um, but I think that's something we can all look out for and realizing that as a dietitian, you know, no matter what setting you're in, or if they're mad at you because they have an eating disorder and you're making them eat something or do something they don't want to, like, you're going to experience patients, clients that are not necessarily happy with what's going on. Um, so kind of off of that, in one of my classes, nutrition counseling, we're talking about like the stage, stages of change. Um, so I guess like 
patients with eating disorders, like they're kind of in the contemplation stage because they're there, they know that there's a problem, but I can imagine that there's not a lot of wanting or kind of a fear of change. So how do you kind of guide them through the counseling? Like if they're kind of scared of making those changes that you're recommending? Yeah. Um, so that's a really good question. Um, and I love that class. Do you have Dr. Van Mulligan? Yeah, she's awesome. great. Um, use that motivational interviewing and that um, stages of change that's really important. And I think that that can be true for any client, um, even if they don't have an eating disorder, there can be very serious things. Um, but, you know, and we can go and analyze all the reasons that they're in that exact state at the moment, but really it's just meeting them where they're at. And I think that's what was emphasized in classes too, of like, you can't walk up to someone who doesn't eat a fruit or vegetable ever and say, well, now you have to eat six servings a day. Um, that's just not going to work. You also can't tell someone, Hey, like you need to do this every week. No one's, no one's going to do that. And usually that comes off really rough. Um, so it's really goes back to that connecting with them. You really have to build rapport. Um, you know, I have a client that doesn't like cotton candy ice cream, but I love cotton candy ice cream. So every time I say cotton candy ice cream, she'll say, she'll kind of make this face, not say anything. And I'll go, I know you don't like cotton candy ice cream, but I love cotton candy. And she just kind of laughs. And so we build up this relationship and they know that that eating disorder is not helpful for them. Um, but truly eating disorders make you so fearful that fight or flight response is so strong that you kind of have to work from every angle and figure out what motivators they have, um, why they're doing this recovery, what their support system looks like. And also it's a level of, you know, I'm in the partial hospitalization side. So clients are going to be a lot further into their eating disorder at that point. But there's a level that, you know, if we can't get them to eat or we can't get them to get out of their patterns, they need to be in residential care. And some of it's just that exposure. But guiding them through counseling, I guess, is focused on, you know, why they're there. Giving nutrition education because there's so much, we talk about diet culture so much, there's so much misinformation or everything becomes very rigid and rules and eating disorders. So it's really important to say, yeah, you do need um, fats in your diet and this is why. And our brain's made up of 60% fat. And, and sometimes even one of those pieces of information can make someone go, but I thought that you couldn't digest fats if you ate carbohydrates. And, and so it's just this combination of trying to set little goals and praising them for that and, and then continuing to find reasons to recover. And um, I feel like a lot, like unfortunately eating disorders are relatively prevalent um, today. And I was just wondering if you had any advice for if like if we had a friend that we know is is struggling with that what would be your advice for us to like be able to be supportive of them and like and be able to help them along I don't know if that makes sense but yeah so one of my favorite things I've learned through a couple of people that I've worked with that are actually one of them's a therapist but she said this to me once she said approach everything with curiosity 
And that I think applies to counseling. It applies to whatever. But when you have a friend that is going through something, um, particular in eating disorder, where and pick, eating disorders hide in silence. Um, they are really, and a lot of people, the rates of eating disorders or the relapses of eating disorders have gone up since quarantine because isolation is so good for eating disorders and it gives people a sense of control when they don't have it. Um, so I guess for anything, like if you're noticing something or a pattern of behavior, like bring it up, not as, Hey, I saw that you were doing this. Um, in, you know, that's not good for you. That always causes that defensive um, response, but saying, Hey, like I've noticed that you've started eating in your room alone a lot, or, you know, I noticed that you get really, really stressed out when we bring this certain food into the house and you know, what's going on. Um, you know, I'm concerned. I care about you as a friend and if you can get them to open up a little bit, you know, if it is someone that you obviously can't take over everything or, you know, you can't do care for them yourselves, but there is a level of opening that conversation up that needs to happen. Um, and maybe they'll realize that they need help and, you know, and connecting them with resources. If you say, Hey, like, I just wanted to send these to you. If you ever want to talk, I'm here for you. Um, but ultimately it has to be that person's choice and yeah, hopefully they can go and get help. That's interesting what you said about um, um, eating disorders rising as a result of like COVID. I honestly hadn't even considered that. So that's honestly very interesting and sad. I think we're going to, after all of this, we're going to have a lot of um, like interesting information coming out about the all of the effects that COVID had on our lives so I don't know that's an aspect I hadn't considered. Well, it's also so interesting because Emma and I were just in a class where we presented how important nutrition is related to COVID and yeah like Emma said I hadn't thought much about how being so isolated would increase um disordered eating patterns and I was wondering if you um or Dana did you have something you wanted to add to like that subject I'm gonna add because I know I've heard the phrase people have been saying like quarantine 15 and I think that that definitely adds to the issue of like disordered eating coming from COVID when it's almost kind of being romanticized in a way I, I know you're gonna ask a question I just want to say one thing about that so Another thing to maybe just for you all as practitioners, even if you don't work in eating disorders, one of the best things that you all can do as practitioners is be neutral with your relationship with food. Um, really removing that moral value of food being good and bad. Um, I've really changed and there's so much, there's so much benefit in knowing what nutrients are in different foods, but labeling things different ways, even if it doesn't cause an eating disorder or lead to an eating disorder sometime in the line, um, things affect people kind of like how you talk about it. Like you talk about smoking being bad, like even if people engage in smoking, they know it's bad and so they have a certain perception of it I guess that's not the best example but if you talk about how oh bread is bad and you know or you should only eat whole wheat things then people can start to take that in their head um 
So I always recommend, um, I practice all foods fit, um, intuitive eating and health at every size and talking about weight in a different way has completely shifted my perspective on how people should be cared for. So just a couple things for you all. Something just to like piggyback off of the last thing you said, like I think something a lot of people don't realize is people who are overweight or obese can still struggle with eating disorders. They can still be malnourished. Like we were talking about in one of my classes the other day that, you know, weight doesn't have everything to do with being malnourished. And I think that's something really important that people don't understand about eating disorders. Exactly. Um, And so um, eating disorders have this reputation that if you're skinny or anorexic and, you know, I got called anorexic when I was a kid and I was just a little thin. Um, But that perception that eating disorders are all in thin people and a lot, like there's also bias that if you're white and you're a female and you're skinny, then you can have an eating disorder. But and no one else can, but that's absolutely not true. Um, men suffer from eating disorders, people of all genders, um, the trans community, the just a lot of different populations. Anyone can have an eating disorder and be malnourished. So I, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, that's interesting. You brought up um, the people who are trans because so a I attended Fancy um, back in October, and I attended a session called LGBTQ Plus Health, and we did talk about how eating disorders are more prevalent in that population, and I thought that was really interesting. Have you ever, like, come across a situation where you have noticed that it is more prevalent? Um, I guess I just know that, um, and the LGBT community, um, you know, the African-American community, groups that are in minorities or discriminated against systematically tend to have higher risks of alcoholism, you know, drug addiction for, at least I can't speak for the black community because I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but I know that um, like the LGBT community is more likely to be, have a drinking problem, have a drug problem, um, have mental health issues, And so it makes a lot of sense that that kind of also correlates with eating disorders, because when you face systematic oppression, there's a lot of things that happen um, to you. Um, And experiencing trauma is one of those things that can lead you to a lot of different coping mechanisms, which can be an eating disorder. So. Um, Something that I was going to touch on earlier when um, I think it was Dana that brought up like the quarantine 15 and other things like that, that brought to mind like I in the very beginning of quarantine, all I saw were like those Chloe Ting workouts and everyone talking about like, oh, we have this so much downtime, like let's work on bettering ourselves and not focus on like the fact that we're in a pandemic and people's mental health is struggling from this isolation. Do you... Like when you were going through that, when you saw that presence on social media, and since most people were getting their news from social media, how do you think that affected those struggling with disordered eating? So many assessments I've seen of clients. Um, You know, some people, their eating disorder or disordered eating started 
at the beginning of quarantine when they started trying to lose weight or, you know, TikTok was those what night, what I eat in a day videos are horribly whatever. And a lot of <laughs> weight loss techniques are like 15 year old kids that are saying, well, I only eat a banana for breakfast. And, you know, I do this and, and it's such a mass media that's being spread around. So I think anything with such a large reach is going to affect people. And there is this idea that has come out in quarantine. And I feel like it's kind of in the culture of the U.S. that it makes sense that we always have to be doing something. We always have to be um, pushing ourselves that and we we glorify weight loss so much that, of course, during quarantine, we're going to say, well, yeah, we should be losing weight and like we should be doing this. And I've seen so many of those transformations. And all I can think is, you know, how, how are you doing? You know, how has this affected your mental health? What disordered patterns have you started in your life or increased because you have this goal of weight loss, which may not be healthy for you. Um, and kind of just going from the perspective that weight loss is not, and also you don't owe health to anyone. I think that idea like may seem silly that I say that, but I've realized that there's this expectation of, well, you know, and people even will approach people and say, well, you need to eat less or you need to go work out. And this actual discrimination, just walking down the street um, whereas, you know, someone that may be in a, a smaller body may not get comments like that, but still feel that pressure. Um, feel like I kind of went all over the place, but basically I'm saying that, um, this whole idea of weight, um, the glorification of and praising of, um, let me just give an example. That's better. So I have someone in my life that posted that they lost 45 pounds and um, said, hey, I'm not comfortable in my body. This is lower than I wanted to be. You know, I feel I felt stronger, but now I don't feel like I'm getting enough. And I feel like my healthier weight's a little bit higher. Any advice on that? And people were commenting, good job, great job. What did you do to lose weight? That's amazing. And I commented, hey, I'm a dietitian you know, that's actually, you know, here, let me help you. And people were recommending supplements. They were recommending continuing to work out, even though she wasn't feeling healthy in her body. So that just kind of shows. And she posted a picture too of a before and after. And I, as someone that knows her and also just as identifying disordered patterns, that was really concerning to me, but we glorify weight loss and eating less as such this amazing thing when eating and being able to sustain our body and taking care of ourselves in every sense of the term is much more important. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're doing something bad if we're struggling during a pandemic. Yeah. And I think it's like social media has become more prevalent we've seen a lot more of those patterns with diet culture but I was wondering how do you think like fad diets have played into disordered eating and, like different weight loss programs and that kind of stuff so when we talk about kind of the idea of diet culture which I'm sure not everyone 
maybe even someone listening to the podcast has heard that term. But basically, you know, if you think about all of the dieting ways and the slim fast drinks and the protein bars and the, well, if you do this program, you'll lose 10 pounds in a week, um, which, <laughs> yeah, um, all of those things are a $70 billion industry. Um, so, and if really diets were effective, we wouldn't need more than one, but there's always a new fad diet. So when I kind of thought about that, that made, it kind of clicked in my brain that, yeah, why are we doing all these different diets? Like if they worked, then we wouldn't need them. We would do one and we'd be good and we'd be healthy. Um, and I think those diets promise it kind of feeds into insecurities and what we have been told about weight, what we have told about um, needing to control our bodies a certain way, all feed into that. And those insecurities about, I just want to look better and really pushing that on people. So they feel successful doing a diet that causes that disordered pattern to go further and some people don't go all the way into an eating disorder but you know those connections between eating less and you know rewarding yourself creating cheat days but feeling better when your stomach's empty and when you work too hard and you pass out that has been glorified like all of those things lead you into something that is disordered so when we already glorify a lot of unhealthy patterns, people with disordered eating are more likely to have disordered eating or eating disorders. Of course they would get those. Like, of course they would develop those patterns and see those as okay. And they get praised for it a lot of times. I've had clients say, oh yeah, someone said I look great. Um, and I had just, you know, not eaten for the past three days. So definitely. Yeah, I followed this dietitian on Instagram, kind of something you said made me think of this, but people will ask her questions and she'll post about them and people ask like, what's your favorite cheat meal? And she'll always preach that like, I don't like have any cheat meals, like I incorporate the foods that I love to eat into my like weekly diet. Um, and that's something that as a future dietitian, like I know I will preach to um, any of my clients or patients that to incorporate the foods you love um, into your weekly meals. Well, I love that because it makes me really, I, I thought maybe I'd come on here and, um, you know, I remember just last year, I had no one in my class had talked about intuitive eating. I had never heard of intuitive eating. Um, so it makes me really happy to know that <laughs> you all just a year, a couple of years behind me are already going to incorporate that because no matter what field you work in with dietetics, you are making an impact when you are giving advice or counseling on nutrition, you are making an impact on someone. So it matters what you say and what you practice. And I was also thinking um, kind of when you were talking like about fad diets, like diets love to advertise as like a way to, you know, be healthful, like be the healthiest you. Um, and then they, you know, in their advertisements, they love to post like before and after and they like glorify that, like you said, but it's like, if it were really about health and if it like were really about like 
I don't know, you want to be posting before and afters, you know, you like, I think I saw somebody say like, you'd be posting lab values, like, let's see, like, <laughs> your triglycerides drop or like your blood glucose <laughs> drop or whatever. And I mean, it's kind of true. Like if it if it were about health, we wouldn't be so caught up in this like before and after and so quick to praise someone who like posts that because I don't know, I always just think you should never comment like on someone's body, no matter, no matter what. And I just, I think, you know, somebody can kind of post something like that um, and seem like they're super confident and everything. But I don't know, it's just like you don't really know what's going on like in that in that person's head and what they're going through. I don't know. That was kind of a scattered thought as well. But I, just, <laughs> no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And exactly that people have much more value than their body. So if diets were really about health, it wouldn't be about your body. It'd be about how you feel in the world and how you handle different situations and how you take care of your body, sure, um, and what your relationship with things are, including your relationship to food and exercise. And you know, if you get enough sleep at night and if you see people regularly, um, I know during quarantine, that's a little bit different, but you know, those all things would be all things that have been considered, not how your body looks, um, because that has, you know, you can't determine someone's health by looking at their body. So just because they lost weight, um, has, has nothing to do with their health. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. So I guess we, we've kind of taken a deep dive into this, but I don't know, then do you have any advice for someone who, you know, has obviously gone through, we're going through quarantine is, I don't know, they, they want to live a healthy lifestyle, whatever, but I don't know, they, they are seeing all these just like conflicting things on social media. I don't know. Do you have any advice for somebody who just wants to live a healthy lifestyle? I don't know, intuitively. Definitely. Um, I would say educating yourself. Um, so intuitive eating health at every size, and um, what did I say? Oh, all foods fit. Those are all things that changed my perspective on the world, and even just by the concept. Um, health at every size, um, practices at the level that they look at every aspect of people's lives and look for their healthiest state, mentally, physically, um, with food, and all, just everything. And instead of saying, well, you're in the normal BMI range, so good for you, you're healthy, or you're above it, so you're not healthy. When that has, you know, <laughs> there's so many other things that go into people's lives. Um, and intuitive eating helps remove those stigmas from food um, and allows you to kind of recognize that, yeah, even if you are eating a little bit more in than of certain foods that aren't making you feel great all the time, but you really enjoy them, allowing that to be okay. Um, recognizing that you're mentally struggling right now, really starting to question the things that you see. Um, instead of, you know, looking at one of those TikTok videos of what I eat in the day to lose weight and thinking, hmm, maybe I should be doing that. Um, or, same thing, like catching yourself. I started to catch myself where, um, or other people, my mom said once, um, 
oh, well, I was so bad yesterday. I had a piece of chocolate cake. And I mean, just that sentence alone, you have done nothing wrong by eating a piece of chocolate cake. And there's always those, you know, we've created those dialogues that are so common, but starting to question, am I bad for eating a piece of chocolate cake where I enjoyed it? And then also recognizing that of course I'm going to go and eat the whole chocolate cake after I told myself I can't have it because it creates that like starvation mode in our brain when I could have just had a piece of chocolate cake and moved on. Um, and I think intuitive eating talks a lot about all of those sort of things, but really giving yourself grace and questioning that approach with curiosity of towards yourself, you know, well, I'm feeling really sad today, or I'm really anxious, and oh my gosh, I don't know what to do, or you go to something that may not help you, and and then you think, okay, well, of course I'm thinking, feeling like this, you know, this happened yesterday, or what can I do for myself right now, and asking that question, um, asking those questions for yourself, and really pretending, like I started pretending like I am my best friend, what would my best friend ask me right now? And how, what would they do to support me? And starting to do those things can improve your health so much and change your perspective. Um, and when we do those little dialogues again, like, oh, well, you know, I should be doing this or I should be working out more. Um, I have this extra time. You're in a pandemic. <laughs> it's really hard to do all of those things especially when you don't feel good. I definitely don't feel great all the time. And I take more naps than I've ever taken because I'm inside all the time. And, you know, I'll get back to working out at some point, but we're all experiencing a world level of trauma at the same time. Um, and there's so much expectation on perfection and doing all of these things right when the right thing for everyone right now is to take care of themselves. Um, and the way to do that is listen to what we need and questioning what we need. Um, so that's what I would say. Uh, definitely just, what do I need? You know, do we actually ever ask ourselves that? I don't think that happens that often. It's more of, oh, well, I'm going to go do this because, or, well, I don't know what to do about this, but, you know, ask yourself, what do you need? And, and if you don't know, that's okay too. And just, okay, I've been noticing I'm sad. Okay. What can I do about that? Cause I have not known what to do and what are things I enjoy and just really investigating. I don't think we're taught to do that, but I think that's going to bring a lot more health than, you know, telling people to eat this many vegetables and work out all the time. So dealing with the real issues rather than just ignoring them. And I really um, like what you said before, like, I know sometimes I will like catch myself like thinking like, oh, like, like I'm trying to think of a good example, but like I, I do catch myself sometimes like kind of reverting back to like, I don't know, old ways that I used to mm -hmm. think. Um, but I was wondering if you, because sometimes this happens to me also, you know, I'm like talking with a friend and like they say, oh, I have to go run it off or I have to go walk it off. Like, do you open up those conversations with friends? Do you challenge friends in that way? I don't know. Do you have any advice about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that is something I even talk about with my clients a lot because 
those comments become so much more apparent. Um, and, you know, with some people, I feel very comfortable going, <laughs> maybe it's an approach like, yeah, that's kind of crap. You know, that's not, that's, you don't need to run to eat. That's silly. There's some friends that I would just say that to, and then they can come back and I'll say, well, here's the facts. And some people I go, silence. <laughs> I don't say anything because you can't dismantle diet culture on your own. <laughs> you know, it's, but you practicing those things, um, you allowing yourself to eat when you're hungry and you honoring those things that you want to eat and recognizing that your body is smarter than you and sometimes it can handle those things and you're not going to eat chocolate cake for every meal of every day but you also shouldn't eat broccoli every meal of every day but we you know say that's okay you know it's okay to eat as much vegetables as you want but when we demonize these different foods um but when there's other people it's kind of like picking your battles um you know do i want to deal with this right now and when you know you've been built up in a culture of you know the diet culture idea for your whole life praising weight loss praising these practices that are pretty disordered to say that to someone else who's in the same culture and maybe even more affected by that than you have been um that's a pretty daunting task to take on but I think again recognizing that kind of curiosity that you can have and going from a why do you have to run it off you know that I don't know I feel like you should be able to eat despite that and I don't know where, where does that come from for you um, and really just questioning that may work a little bit better than, oh, you don't have to run it off. I'm sure people have heard that all the time. You know, we say things like that, but then we also go and we say, well, I'm going to have to run it off. We do the exact same thing all in over, but changing it to a dialogue of, well, why do you think you have to run it off? You know, and I guess it really depends on the person. Um, and if you're really concerned that those sort of things have really escalated to a point, it's that conversation I mentioned earlier of, you know, I've noticed these patterns of things. Um, and also recommending, I recommended my mom, she's always been someone that, you know, uh, she would have us drink kefir, which was really gross. She would like make it or something. And she would make us drink it before we went to school. She would make these green drinks and she was always trying like a whole 30 and all of these different things. And she'd also say, oh, I've been so bad about eating this or, you know, oh, I'm like 15 pounds more than I should be or something. And I kind of just said, mom, you know, you need to learn about intuitive eating. And she was someone that really took that to heart. And now she calls me and goes, oh my gosh, one of my friends just told me that her friend lost weight. and." I'm so appalled and I didn't know what to say. And so it, in that instance, I got everything that I wanted because she just is trying to learn and trying to practice intuitive eating. So I have great conversations with her, but there are people that are kind of just stuck in their ways and not that you should ignore that or tolerate it, I guess, kind of like, 
I don't know, racism or homophobia, sometimes you just need to say something or sometimes you need to enact the same practices that you want spread throughout the world. But that's a big system to take on on your own. So if that answers your question. <laughs> okay. And then I guess like that's awesome. And I don't know, I'm learning so much. I think you have such a good perspective and a good outlook on on eating um and you obviously have a lot of experience with it um but kind of getting back to if somebody listening um is in dietetics and they kind of want to do what you do um did like what kind of steps should they take to kind of go in that direction or like I don't know what did you have to do like additional training in order to work with the specific population that you do yeah that's a great question too. Um, I didn't get any experience about eating disorders in school, even in my internship, I asked to do that, but you know, you have to have a preceptor that's already limited. Um, there was someone that worked with eating disorders, but she never talked about it. She just talked about other things and I don't think we really connected anyway. And then she wasn't a professor anymore. I don't know. So I really didn't get any experience um, but I, again, like developing those relationships with people, um, I, I had to use like a professor to, as a reference in my internship, I had to use a couple people for reference. Um, and so that helped too, because, um, even though this job was kind of sent to me and this company, they are amazing and they took a chance on me and they saw they told me that because I was honest and authentic and I was passionate and I had things that could be taught, they hired me. And I, um, I think I'm doing a good job and I really, really like it, but it may not be the first job you get, but working um, to find resources. And I guess like, one of the things could be that you network with me. Like I love trying to help people get to where they want to go. So, um, you know, I can give my personal email or my school email from UC and maybe that can be the connection that gets them to finding jobs. Um, I would say looking for even just volunteer positions, um, the experience with eating disorders is so limited that um, my job took me, even though I didn't have specific experience at an eating disorder recovery center or treatment center, um, but that can really, even if it's just six weeks, you know, building up that resume um, and having experience working with people with eating disorders um, will look very good and can help you get to where you want to go. Um, then I think it's more of applying for jobs and if there's a position open or, you know, being in a bigger health facility, like a hospital, they have, you know, people that only work with, um, patients that have liver disorders. They have people that work only with kids that just come into a pediatrician's office. They have people that maybe work with people with eating disorders. So um, sometimes, you know, being in a hospital like Cincinnati Children's, maybe you could get, you know, you start somewhere and then you move into that, but you express that you want that. Um, but that takes some 
time, I guess, in bigger healthcare systems, but getting experience, I think is the biggest thing. And I didn't have that, but, um, I would say this job is, I got pretty lucky, um, that they saw potential in me and they hired me. Um, so. I do get interesting because I'm at the point where I'm starting my internship in a few months and we haven't gotten to talking about eating disorders at all in any of the classes. And I find it very interesting that we haven't gotten that. And from what you're saying, it sounds like it's not a topic that's discussed. And I find that really interesting considering it is pretty prevalent in today's society. Um, but also, I know a lot of people do psychology minors when they're interested in eating disorders, having first-hand experience, like, do you see how that can be beneficial? Um, you know, I, I have thought about becoming a psychologist or psychiatrist as well as a dietitian because they, they connect so much. Um, and I actually, there was someone, I think I mentioned it earlier, um, that was in my class that switched to psychology to work with eating disorders. Um, I think for the knowledge, it could be beneficial. I don't think that you have to go out. I think there's enough um, because being a dietitian is so much about like why people want to change, how to incorporate change. So you get a lot of that side of it and even take a psychology class. So I feel like I had enough. Um, of that perspective. And if your brain kind of just works that way and understanding why people are the way they are, I think it's pretty easy to prove that you are able to work from that perspective. Um, I guess minors, I've never had the best, oh my gosh, like everyone should get a minor because, you know, it's not a certification. If you had a degree in psychology, it may mean something, but a minor, um, can be great but if it's I've known people that have attached a minor and worked so hard and then maybe had their grades go down a little bit both sides because they were taking extra classes on top of dietetics and kind of overwhelmed themselves when you know it it may not have I didn't think it was worth it I dropped my minor I was going to do a Spanish minor and uh, I just had so much going on. So um, I guess it would be beneficial. And if you can explain that, like jobs will really understand or really appreciate that you can say, yeah, this is how it benefited me. This is how I want to use it. Um, but it may not jump you from nothing to something if that, or ton. more personal growth over professional growth, like in yeah. how you. Yes. But, um, for example, working in eating disorders. So uh, this is usually after your diet. It is after you were a dietitian, though. Um, you can become a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, and it's there's also an IDEPT certification. It's it's an acronym for something, um, and those are really good. So getting those extra big certifications, um, you know having training in CPR and that sort of thing, maintaining your food safe, your serve safe credentials. Um, yeah, there are certain, and I know that that's so complicated because there's a bunch of certifications you can do, but I think it helps to have more knowledge um, and things that you can prove that you have that knowledge, if that makes sense. Cause you may know everything about 
eating disorders, but if you don't have that certification or that experience to say, yeah, this, I actually practice this, then it's a little bit harder to kind of prove that you know what you're doing. I think that's so interesting how you talk about how you thought about becoming a psychologist or a psychiatrist, because I'm currently pursuing a psych minor and psychology has always been super interesting to me and becoming a psychologist um, has like been on my mind a couple times, Mm -hmm. but I'm also super interested in eating disorder recovery nutrition. Mm -hmm. So having that connection, um, I don't know, which is super like interesting to my personal experience. Um, but then having you say like the minor's not important, like I've heard that before, like I've heard that getting the degree and the certification is more important. Um, but I guess what is one piece of advice you'd give to like your undergrad self to, um, like help you to where you are now? Would that be more networking or experience, um, or like volunteering you had mentioned to get that knowledge like under your belt? Um, I actually, so I would probably say it's more related to um, networking. Um, I did network and I connected with, I think it's really easier in undergrad to connect with professors than maybe some other things, but um, I am also someone that I'm pretty socially anxious. So when there's, you know, to reach out to certain people, I would send an email and then just wait for their reply or not know what to do. And, and then there were, when there were opportunities, when I was going alone to somewhere, it was just intimidating. Um, you know, some, I ended up doing a lot of volunteering with Dr. Lee, um, at a food pantry, um, Jewish family services in Cincinnati. And I loved that. Um, but if I had not connected with Dr. Lee, I probably wouldn't have done it because there's people I don't know. So um, I think in expanding and maintaining that network, I'm still trying to stay in contact with people because uh, that, I know people are always like networking and I was kind of like, I don't want to do that because people are telling me to do it. I'm very defiant if someone tells me to do something. Um, So I was like, well, I don't don't need to do that. but it's true, you do need to know people and it's nice to have connections. And even if you can just sometimes say, hey, like I have this case I'm working on and um, this client won't eat this food. And I wondered if you had advice, um, that's important for long-term growth than um, professional stuff. And also I didn't mean to say minors aren't important, but I did not, that was something that caused more stress than benefit for me. So totally, and but you also can, I do want to emphasize, you totally can become a dietitian and a therapist. There's someone that I work with that is a dietitian and a therapist. Um, so that would be a super cool credentialing you could do. Um, and I know someone that has that, so. No, yeah, that's super cool. But do you have any um, final, like, parting wisdom that you want to whether it's like about eating disorders or like eating disorder awareness that you want to you want people that are listening to know yeah I guess I always compare which I don't know if this is correct or acceptable but I always compare like eating disorders to alcoholism because people understand alcoholism um I guess you know when people kind of get alcoholism they get that people are in a state that they 
sometimes can't say no to something that's destroying their lives. Um, they, it isolates them from other people. It causes them to engage in behaviors that make them feel terrible, but they're stuck. And the only way that they can, and we even say like recovery for eating disorders, just like you can be a recovered alcoholic. Um, and I know that there's some people that have that perspective that like, well, just don't drink. That person doesn't have willpower. People say the same things about eating disorders and eating disorders are not about willpower or all the things that people say. Um, so it's kind of better to pretend that you don't know anything or, or back up and think that you don't know anything because the experiences that people are going through are biologically, mentally exhausting. And they know that this is not helping them or they know that this is something that is affecting their lives so significantly, but they can't stop without help. So kind of removing that judgment, I guess, is so important because people with eating disorders are all types of people, all walks of life. Um, and even if certain people are more at risk for it, anyone can develop an eating disorder at any time in their lives, um, any age, gender, identity, um, sexual orientation, I don't know, race, anything really. Um, but that doesn't take away from the effect of those eating disorders um, and the fact that they need support to be a recovered person, but they can come out stronger. Um, so I guess, um, yeah, just seeing people as people, I think um, treating people with kindness and trying to always um, remove that pride from being a dietitian, um, especially because so many dietitians are perfectionistic and people pleasers. Like we want to do the best and we want people to like us. And so if we get a bad response for something, it can kind of either reaffirm that we know what we're doing and that person's just crazy, or it can make us feel really bad when we just sometimes like, sometimes people are just mad or they're upset or, you know, they have all these things that we can't control, but sometimes we can do more, even if we aren't working in eating disorder treatment or um, working specifically in a low income population, we can educate ourselves to understand more about the world and be more, I guess, understanding of other people and what they're going through and start where they are at and um, find ways to help and guide them despite whatever we think is going to help the best. So um, really being open and understanding people, trying to understand someone so we can guide them, I think is the biggest thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, Claire, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and taking the time um, to come on. I seriously learned so much. I think this is such a cool conversation. So thank you so much. And to anyone listening at home, um, thanks for listening and come back in like two weeks for another episode. Bye guys. <laughs>